Experience the Jared difference. The best prices on an amazing selection. Select your diamond gift today from hundreds of styles they're sure to love. Jared. Love brilliantly. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. And today we're speaking with Marion Bulford. She's a good buddy of mine from the Genealogy Ensemble group. How are you, Marion? I'm doing very well, thank you, Tracy. Um, so uh, it's very exciting to uh, have other writers on the show. Um, I'm particularly interested in the last uh, story that you did for Genealogy Ensemble about uh, being a um, an indexer, a volunteer indexer. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, well, that is part, well, there are many public indexers in the world, but I happen to belong to the uh, Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as the Mormons. Uh, and on their family history site, they do have a... Um, invitation for you to join and do indexing and as part of the um, Sunday um, sermons that we used to go to most people would do their indexing and their genealogy research on a Sunday afternoon after church and it would be like a family project and uh, I really enjoy it because I find so many interesting items on the uh, indexing you can choose the language you can choose the world anywhere in the world. You can choose uh, what you wish to download from, say, Civil War uh, people who joined up to more modern day births and marriages and deaths. So it's a right. very interesting project. Well, and just for people who might not be into genealogy research, just indexing are the lists of people so that if you're looking for a record, you can easily, you can just look up your ancestor and find out whether or not they're in that record. Exactly. That's usually what it is. Exactly. It's mainly people like us, we index, we send it off to a central place where it's uh, reviewed countless times to make sure it's correct. And then it's uploaded to FamilySearch or other, you know, Ancestry.com, uh, MyHeritage, those kind of things. It's all uploaded to them. Uh, the, I don't know if the church sells them. I don't think they do. I think they give this information for free uh, because it is free on our site. And uh, that's how people can do their genealogy by looking for their ancestors that have already been done by indexers such as me. Right. And the, the family search actually is um, they're also the ones who uh, do the annual conference uh, routes. That's right. Um, and they also are, uh, it's a great library if you're looking for um, information about, uh, about any historical period, even if you're not doing genealogy, because the records that they have are, are so encompassing. That's right. They have a lot of records. They, I think they were the first in the world because it is one of the tenets of the church that you find and baptize the dead. It sounds macabre, but actually it's to make sure, because the Mormons believe that uh, everyone eventually ends up as a family in heaven, if you like, uh, we believe that baptizing the dead ensures that we'll all be together one day as a family again no matter right, the generation right. so i mean it, it's it's something that they believe in firmly so genealogy research was a big big thing still is and so everyone makes sure that all their families are researched and baptized in the temple 
of course, we don't just baptise anyone. It's only our family members. We do not baptise people that we do not know or we do not have permission. But this is usually 100 years after their death that they're baptised. It's not, you know, something that's done willy-nilly. It's very serious. And they right. go to the temple and they have them baptised uh, in absentia. And it's it's a wonderful ceremony. Oh, how cool. It's uh, And I mean, for... Um... People like me, I mean, the the resources that are available because of uh, all of that volunteer work is, is really quite impressive. It is. Because um, it's really hard. I mean, first of all, now, uh, actually, we should talk a little bit about um, the group that we're part of, the Genealogy yeah. Ensemble group. How did you get involved with them? Well, that was because my friend Claire um, is a, also a member, Claire Lindell of the group and uh, one day I was telling her about the Mormon church and she said you know you should write a story about that and I said yeah I've, I've sort of you know played with that I've always written down stuff about the family you know little snippets and she said um, I'm a member of a writing group genealogy writing group she said I'm going to ask if you can join and I said wow that would be fantastic and I got in <laughs> and I was so honored because this is a group of wonderful women I mean, the fact that nine women can actually get on together and uh, talk and, you know, critique each other's work without nastiness or bitterness. It's a it's a wonderful thing. And this group for me has been, oh, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do, to join up with you all. And I've never, yeah. you know, I feel the same way. I just find it a, a oh. glorious group of people. You know, the yeah. nine of us are we get along so well. We're so diverse. It's really a a grab bag of people yeah. all ages <laughs> all different parts of the world i mean you know well mostly quebecers but you know there are a couple of us that are not uh, born and bred here but we certainly feel welcomed that's for sure yeah 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 well and that's been i guess that's been uh, at least six years now maybe even more right eh? yes i believe it is yes yeah then we've published a book together and uh um, so, but, um, in, in the rest of your life, can you tell me a little bit, uh, because I know a little bit about you because of the stories you've written, uh, you've also have a great series on the, um, on your, uh, military career. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was, that happened. Like, um, I was born in Plymouth in Devon in England and my parents divorced when I was seven. And my mother remarried, and of course it was all, you know, it wasn't very pleasant. So um, when I was 17 years old, I left home, and I went to London with a girlfriend and lived with her and her family for a year. And when I came home, I was nearly 18. And I was in town in Plymouth one day, and I walked past the RAF careers office. And I looked at it and thought, no, you know, that could never happen to me. But the next day I went back, and I was trembling from head to foot because I was so nervous. I mean, having left school at 15, my education wasn't that great, but I thought, well, at least I can have a look at it and see what happens. So they gave me a, a test and the man there, the officer said he would let me know. And they caught, they sent me a, a letter in about, uh, I don't know, it was about a month. I'd almost forgotten about it, saying that they thought they had a place for me. I was just over the moon. It was <laughs> the best thing I ever did. So I went in and I found out all about it and I decided to document it in my stories on genealogy on song. And as I say, it was the best thing I ever did because I learned such a lot. I had a um, not only a career, but I had the, the discipline 
And I knew what was going to happen from one day to the next, unlike my young life. It was very up and down, my young life. It wasn't settled. And so right. military was something that was wonderful for me because it gave me structure. And I knew right. where I was going and what I was doing each day. And we had little tests and we had a history lesson of the RAF and learned how to march. And Oh, it was just wonderful. <laughs> well, and I'll link to some of those stories uh, in the show notes so that people can read them. Um, what did you find difficult about writing the stories? Did you did you have because I know you've done a good job at making them not just about your own life, but um, giving general hints to other people so that you, it's more about an era in time rather than just your ancestors. Oh, right. Thank you. Um, this is we're still talking about the RAF now. Yeah, well, any of the stories yeah. that you write for genealogy and some, because that's a challenge for all of them, right? Right. Well, I keep everything. I, you know, <laughs> I have all my books from when I was in the Air Force, all the, the lecture books, all the lectures. Uh, and it was wonderful dragging them all out and actually going through them and reading. So the, the three stories that I wrote about my life in the RAF flowed because I had every available picture, um, photograph, uh, books at my fingertips and it was such a pleasure to write it and it opened up a wonderful feeling of wow you know that was a wonderful time didn't I enjoy that and didn't I do well I I've, you know as old as I am I suddenly realized that I did quite well in it and I, I did six years and it was wonderful I really enjoyed it. Well can you talk a little bit about your life since then what kind of uh, I mean um, what uh, what's happened after you after you left the military? Well, I left the military after my six years and my husband was still in the military. Uh, and we lived um, outside of the camp in married quarters. Uh, I had a civilian job in a doctor's office because I was a medic in the Ro Women's Royal Air Force. So I served, you know, had a little bit of a job at uh, a doctor's office. Then we got married quarters at another camp because my husband decided he was going to be an air cartographer. You can change trades within the Air Force. You don't have to stay in the same trade. Prior to that, he was an administrative assistant, like a PA to uh, Sir Thomas Prickett at RAF Uphaven, which is where we met. And when he decided to uh, retrain, he was posted to uh, RAF Northholt in East London. And from there, we got married quarters. And then we started a family. So I was, you know, looking after the babies for a long time. Now, my husband, he joined the Royal Air Force when he was 16 years old as a boy entrant. And he was um, doing, he signed up for 12 years. But what they didn't tell him was that those 12 years didn't start until he was 18. So <gasps> in fact, they got 14 years out of him. Oh, man. <laughs> By the time he'd done about, I think it was about 10 years, he said, oh, you know, I'm really fed up with this. I'd like to do something new. So he did what was called, he bought his his freedom you have to pay to get out if you want to leave before your time is up so he paid for his freedom to come out and we thought well what are we going to do now we had no money really we didn't have anywhere to live family weren't going to take us in so he, he was at work one day and the new desktops as they were called had just been installed in the office and my husband was a sergeant and he was the went on a training course to learn how to operate desktops which were of course computers and he went on this big course and um, one day someone approached him, a civilian, came onto camp and they fitted up all the computers and they said to him, you know, have you ever considered um, 
leaving the Air Force. And he said, well, I am going to be leaving the Air Force in the next year. You have to work your your passage. You have to work for a year, even though he paid to get out. And this gentleman said to him, we're putting these computers in the International Air Transport Association in Geneva, Switzerland. Would you be, if I could sell these computers to the International Air Transport Association and tell them that a uh, air cartographer would be willing to come over and work for them, would you be willing? And my husband sort of, his jaw dropped and he said, yes. <laughs> so in a few weeks time, it all went very fast. He went over to Geneva, he had an interview, they hired him. And by the next year, we were in Switzerland. And it was like a, it was like a dream. It really was. We had a wonderful two and a half years there. The boys were in French school. And then the company decided that maybe he'd like to be transferred to Montreal, Canada. And we thought, wow, that's a long way to go. You know, we were still in Europe at the time. So then we said, well, why don't we treat it as an adventure and as a posting? Postings were usually three years at a time. If we don't like it, we can move on. Canada's a big country. So we said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So we arrived in Canada. Uh, three years. And how old were the boys then? Oh, the boys then were about uh, five and seven. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe, no, maybe a little older, maybe eight and nine. Yeah, seven and nine, seven and nine. There's two years between them. So we put them into, we were thrilled we were coming to Quebec because we knew it was French speaking. And we arrived and we decided to put them in French school, which we did. It was the best thing we ever did because who doesn't want a bilingual child? And we started life in Canada. And, and what year was that, do you think? What, what, what was the timing? Oh, it, what year was it? Yeah. 78. We arrived oh, 1978. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we've been. Oh my gosh. So you've seen oh. lots of stuff since then. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't leave. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We kept saying, yeah, you know, after three years, if we don't like, we'll go to Alberta or we go to BC. But, you know, we traveled across Canada, you know, like everyone does the trip from Quebec to BC and you fly into um, ha uh, Edmonton and you get rent the car and drive to BC. We did all that. We didn't like BC. People, oh, you'll love BC. It's so British. Yes, it was, but it was like 35 years old British. The old snobby ways. We didn't like it. And it rained all the time. <laughs> so we came back to Quebec and we said, wow, Quebec is so unique. It's so different. And I love it. I love living in Quebec. You know, I've, I've never had any problems. I've had jobs where I've made friends with many, many French Canadian people even though my French is appalling. And that's the <laughs> one regret that I have in life. Um, my one sort of, um, my challenging failure. You said, you know, what's your most challenging failure? And it's that, that I never learned to speak French properly. I tried, but, you know, by the time I, we got to Switzerland, uh, it was mainly, it was all French and I was doing quite well. I took lessons and I got to know the French people because... It was in Switzerland that we joined the church. And of course, oh, okay. Swiss people and people said to us, the English people and the Americans, oh, you'll never make friends with the Swiss. They're very closed. But we did make some wonderful friends. I had French lessons and I was doing well because it was only French. There was no outlet. It was totally French and I was doing quite well until I came to Quebec and I could watch TV in English again. <laughs> oh and, no and was, well you still haven't perfected your french yet you still well, have time 
I say yet, but that you did say what's your most challenging failure, and that's the French, because right. when we came here, we could watch TV in English again. Uh, we could listen to the radio in English. Um, I had lots of English friends in the church, and so I failed dismally. However, <laughs> 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 having said that, I have never been without a job in Quebec. Isn't that amazing? And oh, I, that's great. Um, I worked for uh, scientific companies, you know, bioresearch in Sanand de Bellevue. Uh, I worked there for many, many years. And of course, the, the language of science is English. So, and I made lots of French Canadian friends. And when I left, I had the biggest compliment paid to me. One French Canadian girl said to me, you know, I never liked English, the English. But she said, after I met you, I changed my mind. And I thought, oh, oh. you're like a representative for everybody. <laughs> it, was, it was so nice. And I burst into tears. I said, oh, my God, I don't even speak French. And you were so kind to me, you know. And she said, no, no, you were so kind to me on my first day. You showed me where to go and you helped me out and, you know, wished me good luck on my interview. And she said, and you did it all in French. Bad French, but you did it in French. <laughs> <laughs> so we were laughing. It was so funny. But wonderful, wonderful life we've had here. I'm oh, that's great. And uh, can you talk about, well, we talked about your failure. What about your success? What are you most proud um, of? Well, I think what I'm most proud of is the fact that when we came here and we sent the boys to French school, uh, they did all their elementary in French and they had a really good grounding. And then we were able to send them to English high school because we worked for an international company that was the law at the time and you could be posted or you know sent out of the province at any time so you were allowed to send your child to school in your mother tongue plus when we first arrived which was uh, has changed vastly was the fact that um, everything was bilingual here in Quebec in the 70s everyone we spoke to at the airport spoke English every sign was big French with English underneath because I remember going to Eton's and seeing and thinking wow I'll be able to learn French because everything's bilingual and I don't know if you remember that time but that was something that struck us um, right. yeah well I wasn't in uh, Quebec yet I was oh, uh, in Ontario at that point oh, I didn't get to Quebec until 1993 oh right oh, I'll have to find out your story one day <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But yeah. um, what uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the adventures you've had since you've arrived in Quebec? Well, yes. Um, once again, we, we were still Mormons when we arrived. And the Mormon church then was in St. Louis in Point Claire, St. Louis Avenue. Uh, I think it's now a Protestant church or no, a Baptist church. Then they built a new church in Kirkland. Uh, but orig originally it was the tiny little church in St. Louis. Uh, we stayed in the church uh, for after we arrived here at least five or six years. And then for some reason, my husband didn't want to go anymore. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, we're free agents, but I'm going to keep going. I met some wonderful friends, lifelong friends, a particular couple, an English couple that we'd known since we arrived. Um, and they have now moved to Salt Lake City. And that's one of the trips that I took, because once I started doing my genealogy, which again was thanks to the, the Mormon church because genealogy is a big thing. I um, decided that uh, we would go and visit them in Salt Lake City. And we went um, and we visited a graveyard. And my 
granddad is called Victor, um, Percival Victor O'Brien. Now, in that graveyard, there were O'Brien's galore. I could not believe how many of my family names were there. We visited a place called Paradise, Salt Lake City, that our friends took us to. I should have backed up, really, and told you what happened in Switzerland when the Mormon missionaries came to visit us at our door and we invited them in. We were baptised into the church in Switzerland. And they ah, okay. invited the boys in because they were English-speaking and it was such a relief to be able to speak English. Um, and they started talking about, you know, they came into what they called teaching. And they were talking about the church and they were talking about Salt Lake City. And I suddenly remember when I lived with my grandparents, I used to um, take a letter to the post office for my grandfather. And it was addressed to someone in Salt Lake City. And in those days, you had the flimsy blue airmail paper that had to be weighed and measured and everything at the post office. So I'd, Oh, yes, I remember those. Yes, yes. So I'd take it down and I'd get it weighed. And on the way home, I'd think, oh, I must ask Granddad who he was writing to. Well, by the time I got home, I'd forgotten anyway. So this, you know, this memory came back. So I said to the boys, Salt Lake City. So they said, well, who was he writing to? I said, well, I have no idea. I said, but I'll call him tomorrow. So I called my granddad and I said, who was that lady you used to write to in Salt Lake City, Gramps? He said, oh, that was a second cousin of mine. I said, really? Well, how do you have a second cousin in Salt Lake City, which is a big Mormon place? Oh, I don't know. He said, you know what the Americans are like. They they love to uh, do their genealogy because they all believe that they come from, you know, Europe somewhere. So I said, oh, that's interesting. He said, actually, I've still got the letters that we exchanged. Would you like them? <laughs> so, that's great. <laughs> yes. Well, a week later, this big package of letters arrived. I started reading them and I began to realize that my grandfather's uncles, they were all born in Wales, Pembrokeshire. They were all shipwrights and something to do with shipping and the Navy. That my grandfather's uncle had joined the Mormon church when it was first established in the early 1800s, had become a Mormon and had gone to Malta and had set up a missionary area in Malta. He was one of the first to bring the church of uh, Latter-day Saints to Malta. And I'm reading all this and I'm showing it to the Mormon missionaries the next time they came and we're all getting excited. They said, wow, you've got a pioneer um, ancestry. So I said, well, how do you know? And they said, well, look at this. So they, they showed me a family tree, which I'd never seen before. And they pointed out how on the right, left side was granddad's family. And on the right were all these Mormons who had lived in <laughs> Right. Isn't that wonderful? Oh my gosh. I got the chills. I'm still getting the chills now relating it because it was so exciting. So we started to delve into the genealogy and uh, I continued when I came to Canada. We went to the Lachine Family History Centre, which is open, you know, 24-7 practically. Well, no, it's open two or three times now because of COVID. But uh, everything there is free, computers, people to help you do your genealogy if ever you want to go and you have no idea how to start or where to start. All the ancestry and all the big um, premier genealogy sites are free at this Lachine um, place. You said it's Lachine? 
I thought it was LaSalle. Uh, LaSalle, I beg your pardon, it's LaSalle. Yes. It's oh, okay. Not, yes. Not the sheen, LaSalle. And <laughs> thank you for correcting me. So um, we met our friends there because they, at one point, were the, um, they ran it. They had the keys and every Wednesday afternoon, the four of us would go, we'd open up the offices. And frequently it was just us four. Not many people came, but we'd take our lunch and we'd do our genealogy together and gradually I built up a picture of my grandfather's ancestors who were who were uh, Mormons who went over in the went over the plains trekked over the plains from New York on horses and wagons and it was just oh it was just incredible to find all this out just wished that my grandparents you know I tried to tell them but they weren't they were getting quite elderly then and they weren't that interested in it all and of course, I had to put it on the boil when we on the back burner when we first came to Canada because I was looking for a job. And by the time I got down to really doing the genealogy, my parent, my grandparents had passed away. So I regret not being able to tell them all this wonderful news about their ancestors. But I have a feeling they know anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. A nice thought because I know they're all baptized and they're all together. So in whatever you like to call it, heaven, paradise you know, beyond the veil. Uh, I, I tend to believe that they, they know. So it was very <laughs> exciting. So when our friends moved to Salt Lake City to be with their family, we went down on a visit and we went to a place called Paradise just outside of Salt Lake City that this, grand, this uncle, my great granduncle, grandfather's uncle, founded in the early 1800s. And we went there for a day trip and before we went up to the cemetery, we went into a restaurant and we said, uh, we ordered it and we said, um, excuse me, do you know any Obreys? And one of the girls said, oh, yeah, Laura Obrey works here, but she's not in today. And we said, really? <laughs> and they were still around. The Obreys were still functioning in paradise. It was a tiny little place, of course, but even so, it was exciting to, to realise that. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I'm so grateful for... The Mormon Church, because everything about genealogy and writing came from them, because when you join the church, they encourage you to journal, to make, keep a journal of everything that happens. And you either few lines a day. And my friend, she has years and years and years of journals so that when she passes away, her grandchildren can read about her daily activities. And I started one. I wasn't as clever and good as her, but I've always written. So I kept my journal up until about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I still am writing because now, of course, I'm on Genealogy Ensemble and I can, I can write about my ancestors' lives on there, which is terrific. I mean, it's... But the Mormon Church, I have a lot to thank for. I don't attend services anymore, but I do consider myself a friend of the church because I still do my uh, indexing for them. And I still you know, talk about them whenever I can. And uh, it's it's been a wonderful experience coming to Canada. Because... <laughs> um, and, uh, well, that sort of nicely leads into the last question, um, which uh, you know is, uh, um, do you consider yourself a Canadian? And uh, if so, what does that mean to you? Well, I yes, we took Canadian citizenship three years after we arrived, so we were Canadian. However, I still went said I'm going home you know I still call it home every year to visit friends and family well my youngest son now lives there permanently so 
all the years that we've lived here, we have still gone home to England every year on a, on a trip, except this year, of course. Um, my last trip was last year. And it's funny because uh, I went to see my, my son. We stay in with my son in London. And I, it's a silly little thing, but it really stuck in my mind. I plugged my iPad in to the wall, went to bed, woke up next morning. Oh, my goodness, it was dead. Why didn't it charge? I said, oh, my goodness, Owen, look, my iPad hasn't charged. So he looked at me, he walked over to the wall, and he put the switch down. And it was then I realised I'm not English anymore. I forgot that when you plug anything in in the UK, you have to put the switch down to turn on the power. It's a wow, just a small thing, eh? But yes. bigger. And it, it just suddenly washed over me. My goodness, I'm not English anymore. This is this is ridiculous. I a simple thing like that. But there were other little telltale signs that I wasn't, you know, stuff that Owen said, you know, we'll go and do this. And I'd say, really? You you mean you do that? You know, type of thing. It was, it was, every time I went back for the past three years, there were signs that I didn't realise happened anymore in the UK. Just little bits and bobs. But when that happened, when I'd forgotten to put the switch down, I thought, that's it. I'm not British anymore. <laughs> I'm Canadian. <laughs> And the other day I was out with a friend when we were miles from each other, of course, but we, we were sat by the river in the, in the fall and uh, we were, you know, shouting at each other, talking. And I said something, hey, and she said, oh, you're a real Canadian. You just said, you know, what time is it? Or a or whatever it was I said. And she said, <laughs> I said, really? You know, and we were laughing about that. And then, of course, a year later, I go to England and I forget to put the switch down because everybody uh, conserves power that way at home every every power outlet has a switch next to it and when it's up the power isn't flowing when it's down the power is flowing even when you plug in a kettle when you plug in your vacuum cleaner everything has that actually sounds like a smart way to be i mean well, we, i think we waste we, uh, we waste quite a lot of power here yes we do uh, that was one thing we noticed when we first arrived we um, went downtown one night Every single window in office blocks and shops was a was ablaze with um, lights, and we said, "My goodness, don't they waste a lot of power here?" Because growing up at the end of World War II in England, shortages were acute, so everything was conserved: water, power, food, clothing. We had to be very, very careful. And, um, you know, the, the differences when we came to Canada were quite astounding. I remember I, I went shopping for a grocery shop and I took all my own bags with me and I got really peculiar looks. It was funny. Oh, my gosh. But you I, still did it. You still kept doing it, right? Um, yes, I did. I, because I was embarrassed because they said, you know, paper or plastic? And I'm looking at I'm thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Also in England, we pack our own goods. You know, we, it goes down on the conveyor belt and you stand at the end and you pack them. Well, having someone saying paper or plastic and packing it for me, wow, this luxury indeed. <laughs> it's, it's well, we're heading the other way now, actually. I don't think it. I don't think it's very often you no. get your stuff packed for you anymore. That's right. It's all, all sort of going back to the way it was in England when I left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my 
my gosh. Was there anything that I didn't ask you that you had been hoping to talk about? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we've done it all. Uh, <laughs> oh, you well, did ask me if I had a favorite story. Ah, um, yes, that's true. So yes. do you? And yes, I do. The ones are about um, uh, my grandma. Uh, I, because my grand's birth, um, the family secret, Turned out she was illegitimate, and she didn't find out till she was about sixty-five. Uh, that was a that was a heartrending thing because I was living with them still, and we went on a day trip to see great grandma, her mother, and she needed her birth certificate because she wanted to be baptized into the Church of England because of course she'd never been baptized, and she was a big member of the church, and also she was coming up for sixty-five, and she needed her birth certificate to claim her old age pension in Britain. And we went up on the train to see great grandma. And great grandma had never had much time. Is this okay? Am I, I'm not going yeah. on a bit, am I? Um, no, no. Okay, so great grandma had never had much time for my mother. She was always very cool and a bit caustic towards mum. And she didn't like me very much either. And young as I was, I felt that children are aware whether adults like them or not. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, a train trip is going to be great, you know, and I can see my cousins. So we had a wonderful day. And on the way back, we had the carriage, the train carriage to ourselves. And Granny was sitting in the corner and I said, wasn't that a great day, Gran? I really enjoyed it. And she burst into tears. And I was only about 13 and it was a shock to see my Granny crying. So I, you know, I put my arm around her and I said, Gran, what's the matter? Are you okay? She, she blew her nose and she said, I'm a bastard. Well, I was, oh, no. I was astounded. I said, what? I mean, first of all, that word was you know, a horrible word to use. And she said, I'm, they never got married and I'm about... And I said, what do you mean? So she told me that when she confronted her mother, Grandma Lillian, and asked for a birth certificate, she burst into tears and said, oh my God, I hoped that I'd be dead before you found out. And Gran said, found out what? And she said, you know, I, I you were illegitimate. And when I got your birth certificate, it, it had illegitimate stamped across it in you know, big, high capital letters. And she said, I ripped up the birth certificate and I threw it away and hoped I'd never have to confront it again. So she said, you know, I've lived too long and here you are finding out now. So gradually the story came out. Um, she went out with a sailor. <laughs> and, uh, he left for sea. And in those days, they'd go to sea for two, three years at a time. And uh, her parents tried to trace him in the Navy, uh, but they couldn't. Or I think they must have, because when he he set, he came home again, he contacted Grandma Lillian and they got married. So Grandma, yes, she was illegitimate for a few years, but she wasn't, um, you know, the parents eventually got married to each other three years Right, ago. right. But I wow. traced them. I did the story and I found out that poor old Granny was born in what they called a workhouse because a because of the shame and what will the neighbours think and all those things that people do and say. So grandma was born in the workhouse. I obtained her birth certificate. And from there, I thought, whoa, that would make an interesting story on genealogy on song. So I wrote it and called it The Family Secret. And Wow. How, was, what an emotional secret it was. It too. was, yes. And then I, the second one I wrote which I, I am, um, you know, very happy with and 
you know, it's nice to sort of read it again, was called um, Granny Was in the Wrens. And my Ah, uh, yes, I remember that one. <laughs> and she cut her hair off to join the Wrens. And I still have that plait of hair. Um, really? Yes. And I put it in the story. I, there's a picture of her hair at the top of the story. And it's oh, I didn't remember that part. Yeah, it's Grandma's plait. And Dorothy, another of our writers, um, Dorothy Nixon, said, I should put that picture at the top of the story. And when I did that, that really made it. It was, you know, as I say, this is a wonderful group of women who give such, you know, criticism, but it's it's very, you know, um, positive criticism and it, it helps and it's wonderful. I've had. Some- oh, yeah. I mean, wait, you never stop growing as a writer. That's what I love about it. I mean, right. it's you, you can always it's a, just an exploration all the time. You can always improve. Yes, I believe so, too. And I and improve I have with you and Janice and Dorothy helping and everybody's input. I mean, it's just amazing what we've what I've learned. And I, I started writing actually when I was quite young. I I did a, a story when I was about eleven called um, "Adventurous Holiday." <laughs> it was written on a on a, a little exercise book that my gran had bought me. So I was always sort of writing little stories. But it wasn't until I joined this group that I really blossomed into you know being able to write underline inverted commas because <laughs> you know i mean i'd always written in my journal like i said right but not for publication but not for publication i was so nervous my first <laughs> well and now you're doing it all the time i mean and it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful group of people it is a wonderful group of people. I really, really enjoy the group. And uh, actually, um, I have a, a link to uh, to Dorothy's podcast, too, because I've already interviewed her. And I've already inter- interviewed Mary as well. So eventually, we'll have all seven podcasts uh, available. <laughs> Slowly but surely. Oh, eight, because uh, I'm sorry, eight, but uh, not me. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm on every single one. <laughs> Yes, but you're not talking about you. That's the difference, you see. You're not- uh, no, I do talk about me on some of them it, um, because I do a little excerpt at the beginning and I also have some podcasts that are just about my entre- creative entrepreneurial journey. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So. Unapologetically Canadian. That's your podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's the Unapologetically Canadian is the podcast. You can listen to it on any podcast uh, thing. I'll, I'll send you the link. I mean, well, you'll get the link because you'll have your podcast, but um, you can go back and listen to any of them. Oh, fantastic. There's now, uh, you'll be number, I don't remember, I think you'll be number 50 or something like that. Anyway, I just published the 47 today. Oh, how amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's very fun. And, and not everybody's a genealogist. Uh, some people are other creative entrepreneurs. Some people are marketing experts. What? Some people are financial experts. Um, basically, I'm trying to to um, interview everybody who is a, basically a creative entrepreneur in one sense or another for, in Canada. It's all. Uh, and then I, I've interviewed somebody about um, uh, about Canada itself, too. Well, that sounds interesting. I must listen to them because let's face it, everyone loves to talk about themselves, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) They do. Well, thank you very much. And I'm just going to stop the recording, but stay on for another second, couple of seconds, okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Unapologetically Canadian. Please consider supporting our podcast for $2.99 a month. Join select listeners and get additional episodes every month. At Jared, we have a brilliant selection of beautifully crafted diamond engagement rings and certified loose diamonds so that you can find the perfect one for your one and only. Best selection, best prices. Enjoy the Jared difference today. Jared, love brilliantly.